0: way back to uh, Vietnam uh where my parents are from um my dad was a, a corporate accountant and he also on top of that was running a uh, business that sold uh, farming equipment and so he was not he was not struggling in any way uh but he saw the writing on the wall when you know the 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 fall of Vietnam the comments started coming down and taking over everything he didn't see a future for us there and so the, the, the biggest you no, know, looking back, the biggest decision that my my parents made was to decide, "Hey, you know, we are going to pack up everything uh, that, we, that we can carry and, and take the kids and take a chance, uh, take this huge risk of, uh, of escaping Vietnam.:
1: Welcome to the Wolf Admin Podcast. Today, I had a great discussion with Dr. Jason JT2. JT serves as the Vision Source Co Administrator of San Diego, and he's President elect of the California Optometric Association. I always enjoy speaking with JT, and today's conversation was no different. We discussed immigration, association involvement, and building tight knit communities. JT is doing big things in our profession, and you can see why when you understand his history. Please enjoy our conversation. And as always, if you want to get the most current episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review. Give me a sense of, of your, your path to the profession and, and what you really find interesting and challenging right now within the profession.
0: My pathway to the profession. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, actually, I had... Um, gone down the path of actually dentistry, and I've actually taken the test, applied to the school, got accepted, and then that summer, um, was it summer or spring or something like that, when a friend of mine, a close personal college friend, was coming back from optometry school uh, out in New York, and I had no idea what optometry was back then, because back in those days, if you saw well, you didn't see see an eye doctor. Mm. Uh, just kind of, kind of like you don't see a dentist unless your tooth aches. Um, so I didn't know what an optometrist a, a was. I and mean, he was, you know, over the campfire. We we're kind of hanging out, talking over a course of two days. And that's when I had this realization that I think I might be going down the wrong path. And mm. I was just trying to imagine myself um, just doing dentistry for the rest of my life. And it just didn't click. So right after that trip, I looked into dentistry. And I mean, I looked at the optometry and, uh, I never looked back.
1: Hmm. Have you ever seen the movie in the army now no. with Paulie Shore? Oh, you haven't. No. Oh, it's, <laughs> no. it's hilarious. So it's a 1990s movie with Paulie Shore and he goes into the army obviously and, and hijinks ensue. But there's one guy, one of the first things I remember about dentistry, you know, like really thinking about dentistry as a profession. Um, I was um, in high school and, um, and in, in that movie, there's a, a gentleman who was uh, finishing up his dental school and he was just like hyper scared and, and uh, really like jumpy. And it was because, you know, nobody liked dentists. And so he was having to, you know, try to do something else because, because everybody was scared of dentists and, you know, they all commit suicide. And I know that's not true, but that's how they, are, that's how they portrayed it in, in the film. So anyway, it's a good film if you like Poly Shore and you like stupid humor. <laughs> um, so, uh, well then, you know, as far as, as far as your practice is concerned, um, one of the things it, that I think about that, that I've really started to try to dig on why I enjoy these conversations. I really love to listen to, um, Joe Rogan and I, I love to listen to kind of this long form discussion and I've tried to figure out why I really enjoy that. And and I've sort of been able to articulate it a little bit better recently is that, there's very few opportunities for us once you have kids and you're running a practice, and even when you're, you know, within Vision Source and interacting with different people, there's still a lot of there's still very few opportunities where you get to sit down and just have a conversation with somebody, and um, that that's meaningful. And what I see in you, one of the things that made me want to reach out to you is that I see that you have facilitated a lot of these sorts of of um, get togethers that are relatively informal among among your Vision Source network, and uh, so kind of tell me about that. What was your uh, thought process in doing that? Am I reading this the right way? Um, did you have kind of a bigger intent?
0: Well, you know, one of the reasons why I look, you know, in hindsight, looking back at that decision not to go into dentistry is my personality nature my natural nature is is you know what you just said These like long-form conversations and discussions and and i love getting to know people i love talking to people and so this profession fits me perfectly as far as that's concerned because you know imagine mm-hmm. trying to have that with a patient who's got a tube stuck in their mouth you know there's not a lot of conversation going on it's just a monologue um so you know they just going up growing i I've always been this that type of person who um loves the more personable conversations one on one small group things like that. I remember when I was um in college and uh, um and started going to church um i I loved um the you know the little small group um discussions I love meeting um people one on one the local coffee shop or something like that just having discussions about things mm-hmm. and I think that's translated throughout my whole lifetime um, I'm constantly hosting things at my own house just for you know different groups of friends because uh, those are the kind of environments that I, I enjoy because uh, you actually really get to know people <clears throat> much much better that way and you, you develop um, <clears throat> more meaningful and longer lasting relationships that way and that um, <clears throat> has obviously translated into my, my, my role as an administrator. Um, you know, we have our monthly meetings, which I also like to keep as lively and as loose and as, you know, whatever as I can. And, and what that does is it fosters this, this, this feel of like I belong in this group. I actually know these people. Uh, I actually have a relationship with these people. And it's not just, okay, I'm coming because I need to, Learn this new program that I don't understand, mm-hmm. uh, which is fine. We provide that also, and Aaron's really good at helping me with that. Uh, but a lot of the, you know, I, I, I make a lot of decisions in my life also based on relationship, you yeah. know, as long as the numbers make sense, obviously, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So then we then we started doing, you know, even even more um, like nichey kind of meetings, and then and, and not just a monthly meeting because. Outside of the monthly meetings, that's where you really get to know people. And so we started doing, you know, like you know, what's what's our what's my favorite thing to do when we get together? It's either it's either a barbecue or you know, like the, someone comes over and cooks something, and people bring either a bottle of wine or, or a couple of beers or something like that to share. Um, so we started thinking about that. So we're like, oh, okay, let's get together. And uh, you know, San Diego is just. Full. I mean, just so many good breweries here, mm-hmm. and you can throw you can throw a rock in any direction, you will hit a brewery.
2: Um,
0: <laughs> so we decided, well, let's let's do that. Let's you know, let's get together at a brewery. Uh, they are they're always you know really happy to, to host meetings, and we'll bring in someone to talk about something. It doesn't really matter what it is. Um, we're not you know we are not paying for any of this stuff because sponsors you know they, they love to come and something like that. They get more one-on-one time with the doctors. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the time, we're just you know sitting there having a drink and then just sharing our lives or sharing about our businesses and practices and struggles and things we're doing well and things things we're not doing so well. So that has served us really well here.
1: Uh, have you always made it a point in your life to sort of um, connect with people? Is it something that's deliberate when you say, "I oh, yeah I like to have people over and we like to have cookouts and"? So how can, how can just sort of, you know, a group of docs um, say, you know, we're going to commit to this? Because I think that's the, the biggest key is committing to being consistent. Uh, was, is that a process for you that you have to stay on? Or is that, a, is yes. that just something that just comes natural?
0: It, it, is, very, um, it is very intentional. Um, what, I, what I do as far as trying to build relationships is very, very intentional. When we were growing up, um, and I think this is why, um, when we were growing up, I mean, we were—I—I'm um, I, not exaggerating when, we're, when I say we were dirt—we were dirt poor. Uh, mm-hmm. There were there were times in our lives where we were digging through the garbage at the back of a supermarket to find mm-hmm. food for the dinner. Um, so, then, and, and because of that, um, my parents moved all the time, always looking for work, always looking to improve our lives, improve the lives of their kids. And so every year, I was at a different school, every single year, Mm. uh, from fourth grade on. Uh, Not until I got into high school did we stay for more than two years. And so every single year, imagine a kid growing up, going to a new school, you immediately value and envy the relationship, the friendship you see around you. I did. Um, So growing up, I've always prioritized that uh, very high. And so wherever I'm at, I've learned to get to know people very quickly, um, and, and be very intentional about getting to know certain people and, you know, sizing people up fairly quickly to see if they share my own values and, you know, moral core. And if they do, uh, you know, I, I go out of my way to, to, to make, to make sure I can uh, have, develop a relationship with them. And so when it comes to, to the vision source group, uh, that was the same way. I, you know, I I told Aaron a long time ago when uh, um, when they first looked at me to become a co-administrator with him. I was like, you know, you you basically you guys are basically going to be paying me for something I already do because uh, nice. I've I've always done that in the group. I I love getting to know the other members. I I love seeing what they do, how they do it, what they're good at, what they need help with, and and that's the friendship that I have in this group. And and many, many of these people in this group have become very close personal friends because of it. And so, you know, when you have – so when I took over as co-administrator, that is – you know, I I see the value in that, obviously, right? I see the value Mm -hmm. of having a relationship in this group. And that's, you know, beyond the programs that we have, the relationships in the group and the closeness of the group encourages people to share, encourages members to – be open about what works for them, what doesn't, so that the next guy doesn't have to go through the same pitfalls. Um, so there is definitely value in that, and to me, that's the greatest value of Vision Source, as far as I am concerned.
1: Yeah, I think that's the that's the real thing to, that it's hard for people to wrap their minds around is that um, many times, and and I always say that the numbers should work out. I mean, if if you're if you're using programs, even if you're just sort of scratching the surface on mo- most programs, I I, I think that the cost to benefit ratio is tilted in the benefits. That but there's a lot of people that that have a hard time getting past that. They they have a hard time getting past the, you know, this is what I pay every month. And so these are the rebates I want to get and this is the cost of good savings I want to get. And and that's what they're focused on. And and I always say that you gotta get like that has to make sense. No question that has to make sense. But the real value that Really comes from vision source is exactly what you're saying is the connections that I can uh, you know I, I absolutely and I think my dad would say this as well is that we are is a practice where we are because we've uh, talked to a lot of people who have who have made mistakes and learned from those mistakes and we've learned from them without having to necessarily make those mistakes and certainly we've um, made our share of mistakes and shared those with other people and helped them grow but I I completely agree with you that the value of the network is from doing things excellent and learning from other people who are doing things really well. And part of the way that we get beyond the this is the dollars and cents portion of it to this is the really great part, the fun part of of vision source is Exactly what you're doing and, and sort somewhat to what i 'm trying to do with you know within my network, but also within this this these discussions i 'm having on the podcast is to try to say, look there's way more to what 's going on and way more we can
2: gain uh, by just hearing what people have to say and getting to know uh, other people within the network do you think j t that um when you think about how you grew up
1: um and and we don't have to talk too much about this but i think that's a pretty powerful story not many of us grew up where we were uh i mean i i, I probably don't know anybody honestly that grew up searching through trash bins for food so that, that seems to be really powerful. Tell me about the things that your parents did in order to give you guys a better, a better life and a better standard than they had.
0: Well, yeah, you want to go way back to Vietnam, where my parents are from. My dad was a corporate accountant, and he also, on top of that, was running a business that sold farming equipment and so he was not he was not struggling in any way uh but he saw the writing on the wall when the you know the, the 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 fall of vietnam and the comments started coming down and taking over everything he didn't see a future for us there and so the the, the biggest you no know, looking back at the biggest decision that my my parents made was to decide hey you know we are going to pack up everything uh, that we that we can carry and and take the kids and take a chance, uh take this huge risk of uh of escaping Vietnam. You know, getting into how old were you how boat. old are you at this time? I was eight. Mm. Um, you know do you, do you, do you have memories? Fishing?
1: Do you have yeah. like oh, yeah. pretty vivid memories of
2: Vietnam?
0: Oh yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah, I I I, I still remember that, that night that we escaped. I still remember, you know, like uh, uh, just, you know, so sitting in this um, uh, this room in the middle of the night um, trying to be quiet because, you know, uh, you're trying to escape. And then the mm-hmm. group that we were with, there was another boy about my same age, and he was you know, kind of a troublemaker and, and, and aggravating people and stuff like that. And it was, took me a lot to, to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we were told to be quiet. And then what you do is you go out and in the, uh, in the darkness of the night, you hop into this little uh, boat and then you paddle out to the uh, the slightly bigger uh, boat that you actually take out to go fishing. And so everybody, um, you get out there and you jump over to the bigger boat or you climb up on ropes or whatever it is. Uh, I just remember being completely scared and I think I froze. And, and then I hear my dad calling for me and then he was already on the other boat. And um, uh, I'm thankful for whoever it was that, that grabbed me and threw me over to on the other buff mm. um, in, in time before it took off. And um, you know, you know that that decision to do that—it's uh, mind-boggling to me to look back at it. And he must have been in, probably in his 30s, you know, like early mm-hmm. 30s when he did this. And I'm thinking to myself, what was I doing in my early 30s? <laughs> wasn't wasn't something like that? I mean, I don't know if I would have made that decision. That's that's a gutsy, ballsy decision because if you get caught, you know, God knows what. You know, you've heard, yeah. you guys have heard about con- concentration camps and things like that. That's the risk you take. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's either freedom and a better life or concentration camp. Yeah. So I, I, I just it boggles my mind the decision that he made.
1: Do you think, have you ever put yourself through what circumstances you would have to get to today to make that sort of decision? Have you ever thought through that?
0: I think about that all the time. You know, I think about that all the time. I mean, um, as an adult, I mean, obviously now that I have a family and I have kids and, and, you know, this is why it's, it's, it's so fresh in my mind because I keep, I think about it all the time. I think about like, how did he make this decision? I don't, I don't. I don't know if I, like what circumstances can come up in my life now that would prompt me to make a decision with that much of a risk. Uh, I, I, I still can't, I can't concoct a situation where I would take that kind of risk.
2: Well, I think, you know, circumstances.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've, I've thought about this before and, and I'm not trying to get, you know, this is not a political podcast in any way. My, I've told you my, my mom shares your story. Uh, just a few generations before, well, one generation before you, and it was fleeing communism in Hungary, and yeah. um, and her parents leaving leaving communism in Hungary, and so it, it that certainly shapes her perspective, and it, and she has shaped my perspective with those stories, and I think about that a lot, and I and I wonder sometimes, you know, once you get into a culture. Um, where we are right now. And I'm not saying, you know, again, this is not a political statement in any way, but I have thought about about that, where I think change occurs now so fast in our, or excuse me, fast, but also very slow in our society that it would, we're sort of like frogs in a in a cool pot of, boil, of water that's starting to boil. You know, like unless something were to drastically change and I can't even fathom what that drastic change might be, it would seem to me that that changes um, occur so slowly that we seem it can be like well i 'm not going to make a radical change of of leaving the country that I was born in to go to some other country that could potentially be better uh, so for this one small adjustment but then there might be another adjustment and another adjustment and another adjustment and pretty soon you 're not at the same place that you thought you were but you wouldn't ever get to the point of leaving because you've been able to adapt to those small adjustments over time. Uh, so was it drastic for them? I mean, it, it, your dad isn't around anymore. Is that correct?
0: No, he's still here with me.
1: So have you had conversations then? Oh yeah. Yeah. What, what, he's, what was it he's, for he's him?
0: Not, he's not the most, he's not the most talkative. Guy in the world. Is that cultural or early. is
1: that just him?
0: It's it's very very cultural. Uh, uh-huh. Asian men Asian men are just not the most open people in the world. Uh, that's like growing up, me and him, like we just didn't see eye eye on a lot of things, and that was one of them. He just he just thought I talked too much it was way too social, it was messing around all the time. You know, yeah. he he was much much more stoic. Uh, obviously, he's gotten better with age. He's gotten he's softened up quite a bit with age. But uh, yeah, he he's just never been much of a. A big talker, and then, and, and, and go, you know, like, uh, hey, kids, gather around. i tell you a story.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, have you ever yeah, tried to? I mean, like, no. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: No, it's like pulling teeth to get <laughs> to say anything.
1: That's why you wanted to be a dentist. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I realized that was wrong. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, you know, I think it's funny. I, again, it's so, so interesting just, just to share with you really quickly. My grandpa, my dad's dad, he, um, he's the last one of my, of my grandparents, um, that are alive That's alive. And I can't remember where we were going, but, um, we were driving someplace and I mean, he's got a fascinating history. Uh, and, and again, I, I'd, I'd love that he would never do this, but I'd love to, have a discussion about this so i could record it for my kids and you know and their kids with him but you know he's got all of these things in his in his past he he, you know he um he if i remember right he delivered magazines and then he would he went out to portland and he was driving for a um he was driving a hearst um i think that's that was part of what he would do he would go and pick up um, people from for a funeral home and bring them back to the funeral home and and then he did some other stuff for a while and then he was in the military for for four years in in world war ii and he was credited Jeez. with a kill i mean just like all of these very interesting things that like my history doesn't include anything like that you know i
2: yeah, it's exactly. it's really
1: mundane um no. but as soon as i was i bring that up because as soon as i started talking to him about that and i was asking him about stuff um he was like, "What are you writing a book?" You know, and he, he was just same way. I think it's even generational, you know, not just cultural yeah. but generational. Where I was like, "This is yeah. my business," and they don't even think that that somebody else would be interested in it um, to have those discussions. And yet, there's so much I think value to that history that I'm worried that we might lose as a culture. And and with this. You know, with the podcast here, is as even as a profession, is that we just might not get to that point because so so many times it's you know if you and I'm not knocking any one medium, but if you go to like social media, it's it's a 140 characters or 280 characters and a quick snippet, and uh, and then I'm done, and, or I'm gonna and within that time, it's just you know it's just talking about things that yeah. are not good, you know, that you're griping yeah. about well, usually.
0: It's it's 140 characters with no context. Yeah, you know, you know, in a conversation, you you understand where the conversation was before a person made a statement. Uh, so it's 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 much better understanding of where they're coming from. Yeah, J T. What
1: um so then, then in that history and and kind of growing up when you're moving from school to school, that wasn't in Vietnam. That was in the United States.
0: That was here. Yeah.
1: Did you have anybody? Did you feel like um, people were uh, prejudiced against you in any way because of of that, or because of your your culture?
0: Big time, or where you came from. Big time. Yeah. How did that impact um, you? Uh, it it uh, it made me grow tough skin really quickly, really, really mm-hmm. thick thick skin. Um, you know, I, I, I when we first came uh immigrated, uh, we were um, – the sponsoring family uh, was from um, Hood, River, Hood River, Oregon, which is about an hour outside of Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And you know, we moved into a that city, and um, they, they were they were so generous and so, so kind to us. Uh, but, you know, we were on the front – you know, we were on the page in the local newspaper because we were the first non-white people in the community. Hmm. Um, so there we found out later because we were totally oblivious at the time of trying to transition and adapt uh, but we were, we were told later that you know there were protests before we came wow. about about us coming wow um, and so so you know there was that there you know we, we had people yelling at us we didn't understand english at the time so thank god you. um we didn't know what they said but at the same time, we had people who would, you know, drive up to the house, leave a donation of something at the front door and leave, and we never knew who it was. You know, so you get, you got, you get you both, got the, both
1: sides, yes.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, both kind of, kinds of people everywhere. And then, you know, after that, my like I said, my parents started moving around trying to find work. And the next place we moved to um, was down in Long Beach. This is back in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And long beach uh where we lived, was uh pretty much ninety percent blacks
2: hmm.
0: and so you know culture shock upon culture yeah. shock um before that we've never met a black person other than <laughs> our uh our our um one of the brothers uh that in these uh the sponsoring family that was adopted you know so now we were we are in a, an area with' like ninety percent black people and and we had to come to understand that and a lot of, i mean i got, i got in my first fight there <laughs> just because you know i'm i'm, I'm not i'm not with them i'm I'm not a brother yeah. uh, so but at the same time one of my, my one of my best friends gave them my defense there and you know and, and like i said I was there for maybe one possibly two years uh but within that time you know that's 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 kind of what you're faced with that's kind of what you saw that was one of the darkest hours of our family mm-hmm. um that was when we were you know like going through trash cans, trying to find dinner. Mm. And I remember my mom um, uh, went out one night and she didn't come back for hours. And Mm. we were wondering what happened. And she told us later that she was in the back, going through some stuff and she was accosted by somebody and she ran and this guy chased her. And, uh, but she didn't want to run home because she didn't want him to know where she lived. Right. So she just ran around the neighborhood uh, until she was able to to, to to lose him, and then she came home. Hmm. Uh, you know, so so to this day she's you know traumatized by that that that, that event. Um, she still but, is. Know, for, she still is. Oh yeah, she still yeah. is. Yeah. So so, uh, like, what uh, kind
1: of things you know? Does she does she walk around you know more heightened or is she more concerned or worried? What kind of things would you say still impact her
2: from she, that? She's
0: she's very jumpy. Yeah. She's very jumpy, and every little sound, every little thing makes her jump. And also, wherever she goes, you, you. I mean, I know women are known for this, but my mom is the worst. I she she can't let go of her purse. Hmm. she like clutches it to her like it's her
2: life hmm. yeah uh,
0: uh even when we go to restaurants or something like that she won't put it down i'm like mom no one's gonna come up and grab that but <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't you don't. you don't know son
1: yeah well, well you know so, so then so then you know i don't i am i don't want to fast forward i, I want to just try, sort of how did they go from well when you're when you're searching you know for food in that in that way where, where are you living? And, you know, did you, did you find, did they find people that were, that were out of the goodness of their hearts kind of giving them opportunities? Were they just working really hard? How do you get out of that?
0: So, so how we ended up in, in Long Beach was, um, there was no work up in um, Oregon. My, my dad looked, you know, looked around, traveled around. He actually left, um, left my brother and I and uh, and a couple of our cousins that came with us at the sponsor's house. Mm. um, In Oregon. To live there. Yeah. In Oregon to live there and to go to, they they had a private Christian school that I went to um, while they went and uh, I I think they went into Washington to look for work. They went to other parts of Oregon to look for work. And so we lived with the sponsoring family for a couple of years. Um, Mm. And, they couldn't find anything, so and then so they heard about. Do you think,
1: hey, uh, uh, JT? Do you think they couldn't find anything because of prejudice? I mean, it sounds like your dad actually had quite a uh, a um you know a middle class background and decent education from Vietnam. And yeah. was it was it because he didn't have the skills to translate into to doing something here in the, in the United States, or was it because
0: of prejudice? I you know I don't know personally whether or not he faced prejudice when he was looking for work. But I know that the skills didn't translate here um, mm. because they, you know, you have to have certain licenses and things like that.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean,
0: his first, his first job when he first got here was um, uh, he had two jobs. He made donuts at the local supermarket and he washed dishes at the local hotel. Mm.
2: You
0: know, So that's why he moved around trying to find something better, something with uh, you know, that could support a family yeah um the the church was very generous with us, but you know he he knew that he didn't want to stay on that their their the, you know with their help, and he also knew that he wanted to- you know support his own family
2: um
0: so he heard about um Southern California, where there's a lot more uh Asians specifically Vietnamese uh down mm-hmm. especially uh, around Orange county so and also he cared about los angeles and things like that so he just you know he made that other decision the next big decision was you know mm-hmm. we're going to break away from the support that we have up here in oregon you know with with the the, the reward possibly of getting a better job somewhere else so he literally packed there were him my mom my, my myself my two brothers and two cousins, into a, um, I think it was a 1968 Chevy Caprice. <laughs> I remember this thing. This thing was huge. It was a monster. Uh, and all all seven of us and all everything we owned was in that car. Mm. And we left Oregon and we drove down to Southern California and, and we settled in Long Beach. Uh, uh where where he was um he worked you know, on elect- uh, uh doing some electrician work on an assembly line he worked at the local shipyard building uh ships he uh what else did he do I mean, he did he did pretty much anything and everything that came in his way uh yeah. but um the one but the one thing that he latched onto because of the uh, the reputation for stability and a, a, a pension was uh, the the post office, mm-hmm. so he looked into uh, becoming a post post office worker, and he asked around, he uh, researched, and he started training himself uh, <laughs> of you know the, the 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 tests that they would give and the, the training that they would give. And I don't know what it's called, but it's some kind of key, like a probably like a, a two-handed key thing that they code as zip codes go by on the letters.
2: Oh yeah, I'm yep.
0: sure they I'm sure they do it electronically now, and they just read that thing like crazy. But back in the day, a person actually had to enter codes depending on yeah. the zip code that went past. In uh, part of that, and he had to have it memorized. Like
2: that. Yeah. So
0: what he did was he he um, he built a wooden replica of that thing. Oh, my uh, God. With, you know, with uh, rubber bands and things like that. So, it would come back into form after he pre- depressed it. And so, my mom would make up all these envelopes with different zip codes on it. And he oh, would sit wow. there and practice and practice and practice. Wow. And finally, he got a job with them. And he's, he was with them until he, he retired like literally like, I think, four or five years ago.
2: Wow.
1: Did you see when he was when he was doing that, did you understand what he was doing?
2: Yeah. Did you ever yeah. see him doing that? Oh yeah, did, oh,
1: yeah. Did that uh I mean, what drive to say I'm going to figure out a way to get a job where I think there's there's going to be long-term success. I just don't think that we see that now much. I no, mean, where no. you know, unless you're obviously going into a profession and you know that there's a specific path that you go, there's just very um it just seems like there's very little I'm gonna I'm gonna work as hard as I can at doing this one thing. I'm gonna teach myself this one thing, to to go get what most people would just consider today a job, yeah. right? Not a career, yeah. just a job. Yeah. And I'm not belittling what he was doing. I, I think it's fascinating, and I think it's hugely commendable what he did. Uh, I know how hard that is. I actually worked. I mean, I don't. I never did that, but I know how hard it is, and and kind of the uh, the mental task that goes in. You know, I worked at, um, for just one summer, we had to do the same thing. I worked on a sort line at UPS, at, um, at UPS and, um, you know, everything, a, t- a package would come down the, the, the belt and you'd, you'd grab it, figure out which one of the 12 belts it needed to go to based on the zip code and you have to throw it up there. And so, um, but, but to actually build that on my own and figure out how to do it the right way is amazing. That, that's just amazing to me. The drive.
0: Well, I, I- that's it's like a you know, necessity. You know what they say about necessity, right? I yeah. Mean, it's, it's when when you have to do it, you do it. Uh, and he was not in a position to have. You know, I mean, he had a lot of choices.
2: Uh,
0: this well, then did that rub, rub off on onto. you. That I, I mean, mean, how you know, did that rub off on, th- on you? His work ethic is is amazing. Um, that's all he did. I mean, his whole my mom, him and my mom, their whole life literally was for us. Everything they did, every single decision they made, the big ones in life, was all for us. And, and and I can't, I can't emphasize how much family means to them, and means to to us, as kids now. You know, like my brothers and I, I see it in us. Mm-hmm. You know, family relationships, it's everything. Because at the end of the day, you don't really have anything else. Everything yeah. else goes away.
1: Yeah. Well, that's probably why you had talked about before i mean growing up with that i can I now see clearly how relationships and family are so important and i can also see how uh i'm not trying to bring this up um for any other reason than to say it seems like you've had sort of a, a rough go of it from some of your friends who are considered your family recently and some of their and some of their fam from some of their direct family and so that it makes kind of perfect sense why um why? Because that family is so important. You have developed these uh, these things to kind of keep the profession and keep other people that are outside the profession, but keep your family close.
2: It's commendable. Yeah, you know it, um,
0: the the, the uh, I, I still it still rings in my head. My um, my parents, their thing to us is you know we we risk we gave everything up in Vietnam. We risked everything. And to come to this country for you to have a better life, the freedoms you have, and the last thing you want to do is waste that opportunity, and waste the chance that you've been given, and to mess around. Um. So, growing up, that was that was you know ingrained in us that we we're not here to mess around. We are we didn't risk everything coming to this country so you can just do whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to apply yourself. You need to focus. You need to and and you need to succeed, but then beyond that, you need to give back. You know, because yeah. none of us got to where we got by ourselves. I mean even you know, even the, 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 the amazing story of my parents escape, they didn't do that by themselves. They have friends that helped them. Right. You know so so this you know I, I the reason why I also I bring this up also is because you know that's that's the whole philosophy that i love about vision source is you know you don't get anywhere mm-hmm. by yourself
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: you can try to and it will take you 10 years or you can join up with a group by like vision source and have 10 other guys 20 other guys in the room helping you and you get there maybe in four or five years
2: yeah you know, what so, do you think so it's... no go ahead go ahead
0: uh, it's, I, the other thing I was going to say it, just to encourage whoever's listening to this is, you know, the the, the other reason why, um, that's the reason why I also volunteer with our local society and state association. Yes. Uh, this, I am where I am because of what the profession the association and local society has afforded me the ability to do. Um, and these all, every, especially in our profession I mean, every single thing that we do was spot for by someone else mm-hmm. and so now that we're here and and i can stand on my own two feet now i'm able to pull someone else alongside me and and you know get back So that's why you know you know people are like like wait you do this you do this you do this so where do you find the time well if you think about it you have to find the time yeah. if you don't find the time where's your profession in 20 years
2: you know, well, it's just uh, all
0: it, your privileges will be taken away from us.
1: You're you're speaking my language. You know, before before any of this, one of my biggest passions—well, it still is—but you know, um, even in school, and I learned this from my dad. Obviously, was how important it was as a profession that we are involved, and so that's been you know all throughout school, so important to me. But I I have these you know, kind of this other. um Podcast idea where I'm going to be speaking to sort of the giants in our profession that many of us may not know about and and we may know about, but trying to get those stories of those kind of historical perspectives of of why the profession is where it is today. I'm just concerned that, and the reason I want to do that, and I'm lo- I love that you've brought this up, is that um, I think it 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 is not real when you hear well 40 years ago our profession was to to your and my generation it's not real when we hear or even the younger generations that we couldn't put a drop in an eye and we couldn't treat an eye a, a, you know an eye disease and um and those battles were fought but i was so fortunate to to hear that growing up to hear those stories and then also throughout school to be able to interact with people who were fighting those battles not just my dad and you know in nebraska fighting those battles as i was growing up but hearing those same stories throughout school and throughout my training from guys that that you know not not only did they have you know no ability to even put any eye drops into an eye but then to fight for that ability and then to continue to grow and and change in their profession and to be able to treat the things they're treating now that they weren't trained to do when they were in school but they're you know, their postgraduate education allowed them to learn, right? Because they have the basis of knowledge to do that. It's just fascinating to me. And and I, I always, every day, I think, you know, I'm able to do the things I can do because of the things that people who have no idea who I am, because they were working hard. And I think we have to give back.
0: Yeah. You know, the, 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 the thing one of the things in our, in our profession that I find very, not just interesting, but kind of depressing, is there is a lot of us who have no idea that we're standing on someone else's shoulders.
1: We yeah, have no backs, idea
0: yeah. We, shoulders of giants. You are, yeah, you are standing on someone's shoulder. You don't realize it because you're doing okay and you're making your money and you're going, taking a paycheck going home, but you're standing on someone else's shoulder. Not only do you not know who they are, you don't even know that you're standing on them. That's the that's the thing that gets me. It's just like you, you have to understand how our profession works.
2: Well, I and, think and, JT, you
1: know, you're you're one of these people that I get the sense that um if if anybody spends any significant time with you, they're they're not gonna feel like that for very long. What's your sense of of kind of as cuz you are president elect vice president of the COA now treasurer yes. what's your treasurer
0: Pres- president elect
1: president elect and so uh you know you now fill that that huge role uh, how many members are are in the COA right now and how many non members or how how many dues paying <sighs> members and non dues paying members <laughs> right cuz everybody gets to stand on everybody's shoulders right
0: exactly it doesn't matter yeah. if you're paying or not you are standing right. on someone else's shoulder. Yeah. Um. I don't know the exact figure for for California itself. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a stab at it and probably say 2,500. Okay. Uh. Or um. Or uh, 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 uh. just member. I uh, just uh, doctors in general. And of those, we usually get about somewhere 45, 50 percent, are COA members, okay. actual dues paying members.
1: How have you been and able to figuring- communicate?
2: Go ahead, go ahead.
0: And that number that percentage is, is about the same in San Diego. I think we have about four fifty, five hundred ODs and I think we have about two twenty five, something like that, actual numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Do you, how do you communicate then? Like first of all, do you even run in the same circles as some of the, the non dues paying members? You know, some of the, the quote unquote non members. Do you even have a, an opportunity to interact with them?
2: Or, and so that's the first question.
0: So the, the, <laughs> this is from my Christian, uh, Christian background. Um, you, 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 don't, you, it's like, you can't, you can't keep preaching to the choir, right? You've got to get out there yep. in the real world. Right. If you want to have any effect or any, any kind of, uh, uh, uh you want to spread the gospel at all. So anyway, so if you want to the gospel of COA and organized optometry, you can't hang out with just members. Yep. You know, whatever circle of friends, whatever activities going on, if you really want to get out there and, and, and talk to people about this kind of stuff, you sign up for meetings that have nothing to do with, with membership. You sign up for meetings that have, you know, all the non-members are going to, all the, hmm. uh, uh, you know, every once in a while, they'll have, um, I'm close enough friends with a lot of the reps, where they'll tell me, hey, uh, we have this meeting come up, but it's mostly just lens crafter doctors. I'm like, well, why, yeah. why aren't you inviting me? Well, you can come <laughs> if you want. Of course I want to come. I mean that's yeah <laughs> are you kidding me? That's that, that yeah. those are those are opportunities right there. You know, I mean I'm not saying all oh, lens crafters and doctors are not part of the organization, mm-hmm. but percentages show that a, lot, a large portion are not. So right. why wouldn't you want to go there and talk to them about it? And same thing with the you know, private practice. That those are the people you want to talk to.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's I mean that's the struggle I think we all have, is that um how do you get into because you wind up with kind of your circle of your own of of your own friends who typically have the same ideas that you have they they have the same values that you have and um and then we would maybe not avoid but not naturally gravitate to those other areas and so I think that's really valuable to think how are we going to um show people the importance and, and so that's the question right how do you convey the importance of of that without preaching and without, um, you know, without sounding like you're on a high horse, what, what
0: does that look like? It looks like any other relationship. Hmm. It looks like, you know, a couple of friends talking over a drink, over a meal, whatever, casual conversation. Um, and you, you touched on it. Don't be preachy. Just tell them, Hey, this is why I do what I do. This is why I love doing what I do. This is the history, of it and this is why. This is why it needs to be done. And the thing is, if you can't convert everybody, right. but you can at least get the message out there that they need to hear. And if they don't want, if they don't want to come alongside you, that's fine. There's no pressure there. You know, it, it's it's either you do the work or someone else does the work.
2: Does so that work does has it, to get done? That's
1: right. It, it absolutely does. And does that ever wear on you when when you feel like because i'm sure you're you know um you talk about me being busy but i'm sure you're exceedingly busy um within your organization not just being an administrator but also within the COA and so does it wear on you when you think man i'm there's this next thing that i'm doing and and i know that there's you know does that wear on some of those relationships where you just enjoy talking to those people but then you think and you enjoy, enjoy interacting with them and and you think man but look at all every time i'm asking somebody to do something or step up it's they're not stepping up or these are the type of people does that wear on you how do you get beyond that
0: um i get on <laughs> i mean human nature you know it does wear on you after a while but you you can't let that wear you down you can't let that beat you down um i i operate on the principle that the you know the 80 the 20 principle mm-hmm. where in any organization any group 20% of the people are doing most of the work and the 80% of the people are just consumers Mm-hmm. Which is which is fine. That's that's how life works, and and I've never I've never ever wanted to be the eighty percent. I've always wanted to be the twenty percent. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm you know basically out there casting my net, trying to trying to see if I can find those twenty percenters.
1: It's your stock so, in life, basically. You exactly. you've resolved to to feel like this is your role. And it's yeah. the way that you you can pay back the people that have allowed you to do the things you exactly.
0: do. I mean, I don't know if that's how I'm wired, or if that's the life lesson that was taught me based on my upbringing and based on the, the 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 journey I've had to come through to get to where I'm at up right now, where I feel like I have to pay back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's just to me, I'm I'm perfectly happy, and I wouldn't do it any other way. Being a twenty percenter. Uh, yeah. I, I don't ever want to be eighty percent sitting on the sideline watching. That's not me.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So if you're out there trying to recruit the twenty percenters, you know for a fact already eighty percent of the time it's falling on deaf ears. <laughs> so I'm I'm okay with that.
2: It's a good perspective to have. And, and, and it's you okay, go crazy. Yeah. Plus,
1: plus we we need the eighty percenters. You know, we we need their we need them. We need them even if they're if it's just a letter. To a, to a congressman or a senator and they, they don't want to do a whole lot more and, and that's okay. I mean, um, but it's being able to identify the ones that, that do have sort of the spark that want to do more and have the drive to do more.
0: Yeah. So the 80% are the spectators. You know, you, you, <laughs> I, the analogy I use is, you know, those guys, you know, every once in a while you, when you need it, you know, in the stadium, you need a wave to go through. That's <laughs> yeah. when, yeah, you need to stand up when it's your turn to stand up. That's all you got to do. It's very easy. Here it comes, here's the letter, click on the link, put your name <laughs> at the bottom, send. There you go, you got it. And so you yeah, you're right, you do need them for these things, but it has to be that that kind of wave experience where oh this is cool, everybody's doing it. You know, mm. that's how they get involved.
1: Well then, have you in your experience, you know, there's I don't know. I mean, I I've been out of school enough um long enough to to be curious about this, but my sense is that a lot of these stories that that you and I have kind of grown up with within the profession my sense is that they aren't real do you think it's a generational thing that that they're not getting because the profession now has so many you know privileges and we are pretty happy in general uh and we're doing well in general or um or is it they're not getting taught it where's the disconnect between why there's 50% um you know in California there's 50% of people that are going to be members and 50% that are not going
0: to be members you know, I have no idea.
2: <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I I don't profess to be an expert in that that realm. Um, I I know it's a combination of a whole bunch of things. Uh, you know, the two things you bring up are, are perfect examples. First of all, it's a generational thing. Each generation has his own quirks, has his own strengths and weaknesses, has his own likes and dislikes, uh, its own personality. And then also, you know, the the current time that we're in right now. You know, we are, you know, for the most part, except for Massachusetts, the, most mm-hmm. of us are sitting, sitting pretty and doing well in our profession, given our current uh, privileges. Maybe we're at a point now where we were kind of, you know, happy yeah. and not hungry, hungry anymore. You know, it, it's what they well, they say about athletes. You know, once they get that fat contract, they kind of mm. just sit back and relax and don't perform as much. Uh, maybe that's where we are. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not everybody though, and but I, I agree. I think there's something to that. And I and, and part of again, I'm not trying to keep bringing this up, but but I I think part of it is that um, you know perhaps you and I have just heard enough of those stories firsthand over time, and perhaps some of these types of discussions, if they get in the right people's hands. They will see. They they will as, as long as they get them there early enough and they and they care about, about a discussion like this, uh, they get to see some of those um some of those giants who have allowed us
2: to do what we're doing.
0: Yeah. This is why I love um I love any event that I can get myself to that involves students. Yeah. Um, you know, any any of those events, I, I love talking to students. I love talking to the ones who are about to graduate. You know, and they're are ha- having their sights on what they want to do with their life, how they want their career to proceed. I love talking to those guys.
2: You know, the the the
1: the door is so open. You know, when you when you come out of school, you're just compl- You know, you're you're only limited by what you think you can do, and uh, you know, I, there's just so much potential for for them when they come out of school and and um and even though i think debt can be crushing both literally and even even if it's um just psychologically crushing um you know that that does definitely play play a problem for for our profession and any healthcare profession really but um but there are ways to manage it and there are ways to overcome it in a in a really effective way um but it it I, I think it always comes back to, it's just about working hard. I mean, for me, it's just about I'm not I'm not smarter than most people. Um, I'm not more charismatic than most people. Uh, I've been lucky for sure in in a lot of ways, but I I tend to just think that you got to hustle.
2: Um, and so there's something to that. Oh yeah, I I,
0: I saw that when my parents were growing up. I don't think there was ever a time my parents, both of them, didn't have at least two jobs.
1: Well, and you don't have two jobs. I mean, you don't just have one job, right? I mean, no. you've got you've <laughs> got at least at least two, probably three, if you include. I know you're not getting paid, but uh, you know, probably three when you include what you're doing for the COA. And so, I guess you know, I I do want to be respectful of your time, and and so I want to I want to sort of get back to um you made the comment of your parents always working and we've kind of talked about work and and working hard here but i also get the sense jt that you you know how to relax and and the other thing i wanted to know is how does your wife kind of manage all of the things that you're doing and and kind of tell me about how that works for you all and and how you've been able to um to work to work it so that you can be really high performing in all these other areas and uh, and still maintain you know being a dad and being a
0: husband and well you know it's, uh, it's kind of funny you bring this up i get asked this question all the time um it's 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 all uh, the biggest difference between my dad's situation and my situation is i have the luxury of being balanced he mm-hmm. didn't have that luxury he he had to work uh, all his waking hours just to make ends meet I have the luxury now of you know because of my parents, of having balance in my life and making time for family, making time for my church, making time for my uh, my extended family, and doing COA stuff and doing business source stuff and doing you know, some speaking engagements. Um, and 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 if you look at your if you look at your 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 time, your your seven you know your, your first the first year, your week right. If you look yep. at your week, you got the seven days. What are those days dedicated to? Now, you take those seven days. You take those dedicated days for you know family, church, whatever, and you break it up. How many hours do you have in that day? Now, break that down. How many of those hours are you actually using? Are you being productive at something? Um, now, and, and that includes that includes family time. That includes a um, date night with the wife. That includes my own personal – I have to have time to myself. I can't function yeah. unless – Alone time. Um, so that includes all that stuff. But that to me is part of being productive. Is what am I... It's intentional.
2: Doing
0: exactly. It's, it's like in, yes. these, these one, two, three hour blocks. What am I doing there? Am I just sitting on my ass doing nothing? Am I actually rejuvenating? Am I actually recharging doing what I'm doing there? And I still remember um, a couple of years ago when my son, who's 18 now, and, and you know, dad is a kook. Uh, but a couple of years ago, he still thought I was cool and he wanted to hang out with me. I remember one day I said, you know, today we're going to hang out just the two of us uh, uh, today. And, and so we hung out and, and we went and did all these things. And at the end, he's like, I'm like, he's like, Dude, I don't I know we had fun. today. But I'm so tired <laughs> because he wasn't used to doing, you know, having a something every hour. Yeah, he was used to just vegging around for hours on end doing nothing. Yeah, and and so that's what I'm saying. It's like you you've got the time. It's just totally. Do you want to if you do, you want to actually use that time and be productive with it. Or if you're not that personality type, that's fine too. But like, you know, it, you got to look at your 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 life and and you got to break it up and 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 if you want to, if you're intentional about it. You can have balance. You can do all these things and still have a happy wife and a happy family and still take care of your church responsibilities and take care of all these things. Amen. At some, at, at some point, obviously, my slots are going to run out and then I have to cut back. You know, <laughs> uh, my, 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 my number one thing I always say is like, if someone offers me an opportunity, I always go back to the same question. Is this going to disturb my family balance? Yeah. If it doesn't, I'll take it. If I, if I, you know, if I'm interested and I enjoy doing it, I'll take it. If it does, I don't care how much I'm interested; like, I'm not doing it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's super important, and it's a lesson that I'm I'm learning. Uh, I feel like I'm better at that now than I was a year ago, and still not perfect at it. But now you um, have to be but good it's at it, man. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but it's it is it's hard, you know. But I think I think like you're saying, um, it's. You know, I think everybody, again, you know, you, they, they look at different people and they think, this guy, how do they have so much energy? But, you know, you, you can spend, I mean, especially in today's, in, with today's technology, you can, I'm not saying that it's not good to, to utilize technology because there's so many things we can learn, you know, on this device in our pocket that has more information than a library did when we were growing up, you know, access to it in a, in a heartbeat. But it can also, we're in such a weird time because you can also use all of that information where it's just, you know, you're just completely zoning out. And so I just make make a conscious effort, like you're you're talking about, is that I have basically blocks during the day and I try never to zone out. I, I can't say that that doesn't happen, right? It, it does. I, I do get on yeah, Clash yeah. of Clans every now and then,
2: you know, but,
1: <laughs> but the reality is that, um, that you know, I, I try to be conscious of that amount of time that we're that I'm spending, and so intentional about it. and And I think you know, uh, to the extent that that helps me um, be efficient and productive, and really enjoy the stuff I do um, without kind of being sucked into. And it's easy to get sucked in. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, well jt um we're gonna have to do this again not not just uh on a on a podcast but definitely over over a beer um in tampa hopefully i'll get to yeah, uh. we'll get to hang out a little bit there um and uh but i do want to be respectful of your time and and thank you so much for being on the podcast today i think there's going to be so many people that that um are going to benefit from the story that you you can share and and some of the things that you've been able to do so thank you so much
0: That well, was my pleasure it was fun